Yeah, look, someone does. Who doesn't enjoy fasting? To be honest, that's fine. Lots more hands. Everybody's favourite subject. I do trust, actually, seriously, I do trust by the end of this morning we'll be a bit more excited about the prospect of fasting. It's never been something that excites me, for obvious reasons. I like my fig rolls. But the more I've been pressing into this and understanding what fasting really means to us, what God's heart for fasting is, what our heart for fasting should be, I've got more excited about it and I'm looking forward to Friday. I'm actually, sounds weird, I'm looking forward to being hungry. And I trust by the end of today, more of us will be as a result and see what God can do amongst us. But more will be explained. We've got a few verses I'm going to get you to look through a little while later, not straight away, but there's a few. We're going to look at a broad overview, little snippets from the Bible, what, what, uh, where fasting appears and why. But just to explain perhaps to people who, aren't, who don't know us so well at Beacon what's been going on, we're in a, in a time of continual change now actually it's not just a change and then a stop and then a change there's lots going on and we used to meet in C Street it was now our beacon centre that we hire out to people and uh, we got a lot of revenue coming for that that was pretty much covered our Sunday morning higher and actually just this week there's another group we're coming along which could double that income like that so thank you Lord we'll see praying to it we'll see but that was just one change, moving here on Sundays. And other changes have been in the leadership. John used to lead the team. I wasn't an elder. I became an elder. Now I'm leading the team. I'm employed half-time. You guys have uh, helped find a half a wage. I'm very grateful for that. I don't want to squander that and take that for granted in any way. You're really, really generous. And, but we're looking to find a way for me to go full-time so I'm more available to serve you guys. I want to be available for you. I'm mean, not always because I'm doing a night shift as a paramedic and running around after people, other people. But... I love you guys and I want to be more available for you and we've just got to find the means of doing that. But we also, here at Beacon, we've got things we want to do. And sometimes that costs money, that costs time and effort. And There's lots we'd love to do next year and, and beyond. We believe God, God's got a lot of plans for this church. Um, but it's finding the means of unlocking that and stepping into what he's promised. And this is why we come to this subject. You see, as much as we're in continual change, this month is a bit of a mile marker for, for uh, Beacon. Last September was, we had a new venue and I started leading the team. This is going to be another mile marker and I might preach on it at some point. In the Bible you see the people the, in the Old Testament put memorial stones down. So whenever they pass by again in future, the kids will go, what's that? And they go, that's when God led us across the Jordan. And it's good to remind ourselves of what God has done. Don't forget those dates. Don't forget last September. Don't forget when we got given this bigger plant pot, as was prophesied. Don't forget when John came a few years ago. Don't forget these moments. They are mile markers in the history of what God's doing at Beacon. And I believe this month is another one, next weekend in particular. But working through these times, walking through these times, it's easy when the Bible is black and white on subjects, isn't it? Should we give up meeting together having big meetings together, should we give up because we're all quite busy so we're not them out of our calendar? No, because the Bible is black and white. Do not give up meeting together. It's for your own good and for the people around you. Should we give up preaching hell because it's nicer if we don't? No, because Jesus spoke on it more than anybody else. It's black and white. When it comes to the greys of life, it's not so easy, is it? Trying to hear God's voice. What does he want us to do? How do we proceed? And I would suggest there are two things. When we're navigating, so to speak, the navigating the greys of life, the less black and white things, I would suggest there are two things God asks of us. One, are you willing to listen? I mean, really listen. We can be so distracted and go, God, I'm, I'm listening for you. Oh, you haven't spoken. Right, anyway, moving on. Do you really want us to take time out to listen to him? But secondly, probably more scary, 
when he does speak, are you willing to do it? We want to hear from God, but when he says what we don't like to hear, we do a Jonah and run the other way. Got to be careful. Are we willing to listen? Are we willing to act when he speaks? And as we've gone through this time at Beacon, we're now at a point where we believe this is the right thing to do. But again, it's been a bit of a grain. We're just trying to work out. It's not been a question of whether I need to go full-time. Yes, we've all agreed that. But it's the when, it's the timing. And this becomes a bit of a grey area. Should it be now? Should it be another year? Don't know. It becomes a bit of a grey. We want to listen to God's voice. And and so I just ask, just in the next week or so, just as we're trying to work that out, um, I'd ask, in response to those two things, are we willing to listen, are we willing to act? Are we willing to demonstrate how serious we are taking this? Whatever God might say. He may say no, he may say yes. And are we willing to truly engage with him as we take this step? How hard are we willing to listen and what are we going to do about it to make sure we do hear from him? And this is where we come to the subject of fasting. What, yay. what is fasting? Fasting, the original word, the Hebrew word is sum, S-U-M. And it means to cover one's mouth. Nothing's getting in. Sometimes I need to do that with my talking. Steve, shut up. You can't take those words back, can you? But it's to cover the mouth. Fasting, sum, is the Hebrew word. The Greek version is nestuo, which means to abstain. And principally, fasting in the Bible, primarily, utmost, is about food. It can apply to other things as well, abstaining from different things, but primarily it's about food, to cover the mouth to abstain from food. And it appears all the way through the Bible, lots and lots of different places in the Bible. Never at any point is there, God sits down and goes, well, fasting is this, and what you do is this. And when you do, it'll feel like this. And that never happens. It's just presumed. When you fast. That's what he says. When you fast, this will happen. When you fast, it looked like that. When they, did, when they fasted, that happened. It's always a presumption. It's never really explained. But there is so much we can learn as a result of that. God's done that on purpose. If something's in the Bible, it's there for a reason. If something's not in the Bible, it's not in the Bible for a reason. It's not God just being elusive. You'll find out. He's saying, I'm not trying to sit you down like children and go explain the meaning of fasting and try and convince you. I'm just going to tell you when you fast. (laughs) It's a presumption on his behalf and on the Bibles. And it's really interesting. You see what happened in the early church and then you see through the history of church. I just want to take you briefly through fasting in the church very quickly. There is a document from the first, second century uh, AD called the Didash. I don't know how you pronounce it properly, the Didash. It's an early document that documents teaching in the New Testament church and their lifestyle. Some of the theology in it is a bit whack, a bit contradictory to the Bible, to be honest. We don't draw on it as doctrine, but it helps us give us a glimpse of what church looked like in the first few, first few decades after the church established, like we see in the book of Acts. What happened after that? You can see what it looked like. And in there, it's fascinating, it says this, Let not your fast be with the hypocrites, for they fast on Mondays and Thursdays. Now, it doesn't continue to say, don't be like the hypocrites who fast on Mondays and Thursdays, so don't fast at all. It says this. Let not your fast be with the hypocrites, for they fast on Mondays and Thursdays, but do your fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. (laughs) I like their thinking. It's not if you fast, or don't bother with it. It's fast on another day. Twice a week, the church fasted on a regular basis. Every week, Wednesdays Wednesdays and Fridays, they fasted. 
That was their normal life. It's not ours, is it? So John Wesley in the 18th century, a great preacher from the 18th century, John Wesley, he read about this, heard about this, and he thought, that's good. And he sought to revive it, and he encouraged the entire Methodist movement to fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. That was what they did. It was normal life for them to fast twice a week. Matthew Henry, the 17th century Bible commentator, he said, we have reason to lament that fasting is generally neglected among Christians. Already it's disappearing. It's going. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, went to China. Some great stories about how fasting unlocked salvation spreading through the Chinese people at the time. And he, even he says, he's a 19th century missionary, he says, perhaps the greatest hindrance to our work is our own imagined strength. And here's the key. It says, and in fasting, we learn what poor, weak creatures we are, dependent on a meal of meat for the little strength which we are so apt to lean on. We don't even realise we're doing it. We can think, I've got some strength to keep going and to press on and labour and witness to my friends and do my job as well and turn up on Sunday and get early. And it's all based on that strength I get from that bowl of pasta and that Weetabix. And he's going, no way. That's not where our strength comes from. That's ridiculous. How long does that last anyway? And that song we sung earlier, let now the weak say I have strength. Where? Not in that bowl of pasta. Let now the weak say I have strength by the spirit of power. It's a reminder, isn't it? Where, where does our strength truly draw from? A bit of food lasts only so long in your body, doesn't it? But the true inner core strength that gives you the emotional and spiritual capacity to keep going when times are tough, when your marriage is hard, when someone you love has died, when you've lost your job, when everybody hates you, you don't draw strength from that Weetabix, do you? You draw strength from him. And so often we forget that, don't we? And this is why Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher in this country, Westminster Chapel last century, even he said, fasting has dropped right out of our Christian thinking. And actually now you can see, maybe that's a big loss. Is it not? And so, in many ways, in the church at large, myself included, fasting has just become a bit of a curiosity. Something that you've heard, you read about in the Bible, you hear, you hear other people who are great Christians fast for 40 days. Good for you, you you African prophet. Not for me, thanks. And we're not talking about a 40-day fast. It's okay, we're talking about Friday. Be relieved. But it's become a curiosity, just a bit of a weird addendum to the Bible. And actually, Bible, the Bible has an assumption that is a part of Christian life. So where have we gone wrong? It's because it's uncomfortable, isn't it? And we don't like it. Let's look at what, where fasting pops up in the Bible. What can we learn? If it doesn't tell us too much about it, it does tell us some little snippets. It's an assumption, but there are things we can learn. Psalm 35. <clears throat> Psalm 35, verse 13. Here is David surrounded by his enemies. Says, Malicious witnesses are rising up around me. They've got it in for me. So how does he respond? He humbles himself. Psalm 35, verse 13. It says, But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend and my brother as one who laments his mother. I bowed down in mourning. And his physical means of doing that was by fasting. He humbled himself in fasting. 
Moses, we see, fasted. Elijah fasted. Daniel fasted. The Apostle Paul fasted. Why? Not because it was a duty. Not because it was just an expectation, so they had to do it. They did it to recognise how fragile they were. We're not that, we are dependent on food, but there's more to life than that, isn't there? To recognise how fragile they were in their own capacity and to draw closer to God. They took it seriously. So Matthew chapter 4. I told you I'll get you skipping through the Bible. Matthew chapter 4. First book of the New Testament. Who do we see fasting here? Jesus. Our King, our God. Wearing a suit of flesh. Comes to this planet. And this is what he does. This is before he launches into his three-year ministry that leads to the cross. This is what Jesus does. Matthew 4, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He isn't just going on a 40-day prayer walk, resisting the devil. How does he do it? And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Gosh. And then the tempter came. And the first thing the tempter, the devil, says to him is, you're hungry, you need some bread. It's the first temptation. It goes straight to the core of how he's thinking. Because when we fast, and when we get hungry, what's the first thing we think of? I need some food. See, Jesus, when he knows he's going to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, when he's preparing for his ministry, when he's praying about who's, who these disciples are going to be, he fasts, knowing he's going to be severely hungry and the first temptation is going to be about that. But he fasts. He takes it seriously. Because it draws him closer to God, the Father, and he recognises, even though he is God himself, he is in a human frame, he is in a human body. And he's going to starve because it draws him closer to his need for God's strength, the Father. So if you skip two chapters along to chapter 6, here's another assumption. This is Jesus saying to the people at the Sermon on the Mount, he says this. Matthew 6, verse 16. And when you fast, not if, say again, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. This is very important. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, again when, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When, not if, and do it in secret. Now we all know we're going to be fasting on Friday. We all know each other is fasting, that's fine. What is he saying about it? Don't make a big thing about it. Don't boast. Look at me. I'm so pious. I'm so, look, I'm so humble. I'm fasting. Go me. You won't get the reward you want from God. But if we do it humbly, quietly, soberly, we get to draw closer to God. We get to hear his voice and he hears our heart. Also in Acts 13, well, don't turn to it, we've got too many to turn to, but Acts 13 at the beginning, see the Holy Spirit speaks while they're, pray, uh, while they're praying and while they're fasting, specifically mentioned. And the, and the Holy Spirit says, set apart Saul and Barnabas for me. And actually, as a result of that time of prayer and fasting, history is made. Because it's through Saul, who then became Paul, leads into the church spreading massively across the European continent. 
History was made through prayer and fasting. Isn't that amazing? And then Acts 14, you see prayer and fasting as a means of commissioning elders. As they just pray and lay hands on these elders, they are fasting as well. It's part of that process. We don't always do that when we um, uh, commission people as elders, but it's a good way of doing it because it draws us closer to God. This is how serious we are taking this. These people are shepherds of the church and we want to do this well. It's a good way of doing it. It keeps cropping up in different places. One I love is Luke chapter 2. This woman's amazing. Her name's Anna. Luke chapter 2, verse 36. This is when little baby Jesus is presented at the temple. It's probably a toddler by then, wasn't it? This is in the temple, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. I wonder if she ever ate. Ever. (laughs) That's what it looks like, doesn't it? She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She was a woman who knew God so well. She worshipped through fasting. It's the last thing I'd think of. I'll put on the latest Hillsong CD. She worships through fasting, not leaving the temple. She is so intimately entwined with God through prayer that when she sees this baby, she knows who he is. There's the Messiah. Who wants to be like that? What a woman. And one more to turn to for now is Isaiah 58. See, we saw Anna the prophetess worshipping through fasting just for intimacy, just to know God's heart for the world, and she saw Jesus. She wasn't trying to twist God's arm by fasting. So that can be a danger. If I fast, God will finally give in. It's a danger. It's not like that. She wasn't trying to twist God's arm. She just wanted to know him and to lean on him. So here, you may have the heading on your Bible. It depends what version of Bible you've got. In the ESV, it says true and false fasting at the top of Isaiah 58. just helps explain this is a great chapter that really feeds into the, the heart of fasting. A lot of it is talking about while you fast, you're not preparing that food, so give that food to the poor. It's a very practical chapter as well. Maybe that's something we can learn this week for Food Bank. Isaiah 58 says, Cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments, they delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure. See, the heart's not right, is it? And you oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. God's not going to be privy to that, is he? It's been double-faced, isn't it? Two-faced. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? 
Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. That's fasting. It dies straight to the heart. There is a right way of fasting and there is a wrong way of fasting. The wrong way is false piety. It's a means to twist God's arm. And while you're fasting and being all holy on the outside, you're treating your employees badly and not looking after the poor. That's God's heart? Don't think so. But there is a right way. True humility. True piety. And it's a means that seeks God's heart, not for your own advantage and blessing. So here's the difference. That's the wrong way. This is to seek his heart and his advantage and blessing for others. Wrong way is about trying to twist God's arm and seeking your own advantage and blessing. The right way is true humility, seeking God's heart for others' advantage and blessing. There's a world out there who don't know him. There are many thousands, millions across the world that are starving. Practical reasons, there's stuff we can do there. Do we care about that? Do we do anything about that? Even more so than people going hungry, there are people going to hell. How much do we care about that? Does that bother you? So fasting in the Bible is not fully explained, but we do know a lot. We know when you fast. It's an assumption. You will fast, won't you, says God. Yes, Lord. When, not if. Don't boast in it. It's about intimacy, not ritual. It's an act of worship. It can change history. And it's for others' advantage and blessing, not just ours. So I hope that explains a little bit, makes it obvious why we're considering fasting. There's lots we want to do in our town. There's lots of people we want to see saved. We want to see this town turned upside down for Jesus, amen? We want to see Jesus made famous in this place. We want to, be, we want to see this town, the local papers are talking about what Jesus is doing openly at the moment street passes and food bank are popping up in there that's brilliant how about when that declares look what jesus has done as a headline why not why not but if we want to see history made it starts here doesn't it not about twisting god's arm but seeking his heart and seeing what he'll do amongst us and if we want to do what he wants us to do, we need to hear from him. And if we want to hear from him, sometimes we need to take time out to be able to do that. And so there's two more passages I wanted to look at briefly as we come to an end. There are two places in the Old Testament where God's people fast. And they're two different seasons for God's people. And I think both apply to us. If you turn to 2 Chronicles 20, it's in the big chunk of history in the middle of the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles 20. Verse 
Jehoshaphat, the king, and God's people. And they're in trouble, basically. They're in the doo-doos. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Muonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. There are lots of people rousing, mustering together, and they got it in for God's people. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. It's the desert we know. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He could have just, on behalf of the people, our fast. He got everyone to fast. The whole nation. And Judah assembled. Their response was, yep, we'll do it. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat tells them what's, what's going on. And skip to verse 13. Meanwhile, while Jehoshaphat is explaining the situation, meanwhile, all Judah stood before their Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. All the nation gathered to fast and to seek God's heart. And what happens? Go to verse 22. Uh, Verse 21. And when he had taken counsel with the people, this is Jehoshaphat, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army. Okay, We're putting worship at the heart of our fighting. And they say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. We, We said that last week, didn't we? And when they began to sing and praise... The Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir devoting them to destruction and when they had made of the in, an end of the inhabitants of Seir they all helped to destroy one another. God's people haven't lifted a sword yet. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the hall, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. There were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. They didn't have to touch anyone. They and nation humbled themselves before God when... There was no way out of this. They put fasting at the heart of their prayers. They put worship at the heart of their fighting, as they thought they were going to have to do. Turned out they didn't have to do any of that. God did it for them. And there was too much spoil to take home as a result. The ESV Study Bible says, The fast was an expression of the special intensity of the people's prayer. In war... The people fasted. If you turn to the next book, Ezra, it's just the next book in the Bible, Ezra chapter 8. That was God's people responding as fasting in the wartime. Here they are in a time of peace. This is when they're returning to their land after a great exile. And this is when worship is being restored in the heart of the nation. So how do they do it? Fasting. Ezra 8, verse 21. This is Ezra the scribe saying, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. 
For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we are told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this. <laughs> Can't go back on that word now, can we? I've said, I've said God will look after us. So we better fast and make sure he does help. And he listened to our entreaty. Yes, they're seeking their own blessing, but this is for the good of the world beyond them, isn't it? See, in a time of war, God's people responded with fasting and God came through. In a time of peace, God's people sought after God's heart through fasting and God came through. I'd suggest both apply to us now. We're in a time of peace in as much as we're seeing uh, growth and healthy vigour in the church. We are strengthening the church. More people are joining us. Brilliant. We love new members. People are getting saved. We're talking baptisms now. We're enjoying a good time at Beacon. We're enjoying a bit of a green pasture in that respect. But there is opposition and the devil doesn't like it. And relationships have been a bit fraught. Health has been a bit fraught with some people. We, we still see opposition because the devil doesn't want us to grow. But God's bigger than he is. But there's still that battle going on. I'd suggest we're in a time of war and peace. Does that make sense? So how should we respond? How best to respond? This is why we propose a fast for Friday. It's just one day we're asking. And I'm very intrigued to see what God will do. You've got your fasting facts. I'm not going to read all these out now. These are for you to read when you get home. If you haven't got a copy, there should be some spares around as well. Just practical guidelines on what fasting looks like, how to do it. We're just going to go for the, the, the day fast. Be wise. If you need to eat for medication, diabetic and so on, that's fine. You need to eat. If you do a very, very strenuous job, if you're a lumberjack or whatever, but if you really need to eat to keep your strength up for a job, that's practical, that's fine, that's okay. Be wise. If it's unsafe to not eat, be wise. If you're a, a lorry driver who does a 24 hours worth of driving, you need to have some food there or you might crash. That's fine. But just be wise. We do ask that we take this seriously and we do ask as many as possible fast. If you, if, you, if you need to eat food, there are other alternatives. You can fast from social media, from television. Something that will make you hungry by the end of the day. You're itching to get back on Facebook or whatever it is. But that nagging in your brain is going, why am I like that? It's because I'm not going there. Why am I not going there? Because I need to seek after God. It's a reminder. But primarily, 99.9% of the time, food is the one that gets us. So as long as it's safe, as many of us as possible, fast during Friday. How seriously do we want to hear from God? And how seriously are we willing to act when he speaks? One more thing I will mention. In the evening we have half night of prayer, 8 till midnight. As many of us as possible be there for 8, we'll launch off well. As many of us are still standing at midnight, brilliant. If you need to go early, that's fine. There's no condemnation. We're making a register. I'll notice you left about half past nine. But as many of us are able to stay for the four hours, we will break it up. We'll, we'll stop for breaks and, and we're, we're, we're lots of worship. We've got different things to pray through. We'll do it in different ways, in groups and together. We'll keep the evening rolling. But as many of us are able to get there for eight straight away, but as many of us are able to last till midnight, the better. It's just the heart of beacon seeking after the heart of God. This is about intimacy, not ritual.
But I would say, in respect to that, asking you to last till midnight and you haven't eaten all day, it's a bit different to sometimes we fast from dinner to dinner, don't we? Say, Thursday night you have your dinner and then you last round till Friday evening you have your dinner again. If we're four hours down the hall, we won't be having time for dinner necessarily. And it's good to turn up to this meeting hungry. Because that's the point, isn't it? To help us focus our minds. So may I suggest, perhaps, have breakfast on Friday. This is just an example. Work out what works for you. But maybe have breakfast on Friday, but then miss lunch and dinner. So it's not you're really flagging your your, your no-fit state to pray at the evening, but you do turn up hungry. Does that make sense? That's not a hard and fast rule to work out what's right for you, but you can be wise in this. But just take this fasting thing seriously as well. Does that, does that help? Is that okay? Let us demonstrate how serious we are by humbling ourselves so he hears our hearts and not our distractions. That's my problem. My brain's all over the place. I need to find a way of slowing it down. I've taken Terry Virgo's idea of when he prays, he gets the same. Terry Virgo is kind of the father of New Frontiers and we've now got many other fathers amongst us. But Terry Virgo even says while he has his quiet time and he prays, he always has a notebook by the side because inevitably after a few sentences of praying he's remembered he's got to get, add Weetabix to the shopping list. He just jots it down in his notebook, carries on praying. It helps him focus. So my, my brain's all over the shop. So that's a really helpful way. There's little things you can do to help focus our minds. You will be distracted while you're praying because you're hungry. But in other ways, that will help keep you focused because there's a reason why you're hungry now. But I trust we will hear his will, not for our advantage or blessing, but for others. The people on your heart, the people you pray for, the people you want to see be well, healing as well. We'll be praying for that in the evening. The people you want to see saved, people who get to know Jesus for the first time for themselves. I've got people I ache when I think that they don't know him. It really, really bothers me. And I want to see God come through. And I've got to trust in his, in his timing. But I'm going, to, I'm going to really annoy him about that. I want to bother him about that. God save them. I want to see this town turned upside down for him. I really do. That's not beyond his capacity, is it? No. And I want to annoy him about that and remind him. You're big enough for that. Not in an insincere or irreverent way. But he's our father and he wants to hear our hearts. And so I trust that on Sunday, actually, we will be able to gather the spoils of war and it'll be too much for us to carry. Why stop at 15,000? I don't know what God's going to do on Sunday, next week. I really don't. If it's less, it's okay. If it's more, brilliant. But I do trust God is going to come through in a surprising way in this next few weeks, in this season. I really do. But I'll just suggest this. If Jesus, living, eternal, uncreated God, who came to this planet as a man, lived the perfect life we cannot live, died on that cross to break the power over sin, rose again on the third day to break the power over death, that you and I might be saved, not go to hell and be with him forever. If he needed to fast before he launched into his ministry, how much more do we? That's black and white, isn't it? John Piper says this, Fasting is the exclamation mark at the end of the sentence, This much, O God, I want you! Exclamation mark, fast. This much I want you. And now, weirdly enough, Steve Dunn, who loves his food, is actually looking forward to fasting on Friday. I'm going to have no fig rolls on Friday. (laughs) See, those who know me, that's a big thing. 
daily diet. Would you like to stand? Nobody else is looking, but if you want to take Friday seriously, if you want to really want to fast, seek after God's will, gather with his people in the evening and press in to annoy Father and ask him for big things and be willing to act when he puts a certain figure on your heart for Sunday's gift, be willing to act maybe. But if that's you, just lift your hand. We've got our eyes closed. Let's keep our eyes closed. But if, if that's you, lift your hand. 